Anybody ready for some good news this morning? All right. I am. I know I am, too. We all like good news, don't we? Kind of, it's uh, encouraging to us, isn't it? It encourages us in what we're doing, gives us hope for the future. You know, with that encouragement and that hope, it livens up what we're doing right now. Gives us renewed energy for the work that we're doing now. So I've got a little bit of good news. Just a little story, kind of related to something I shared last week. Does anybody else have any good news they want to share? I'm not going to put anybody on the spot, but if you had something, I didn't want to miss it. No? All right. Um, I shared last week that um, in our Little League coaching of a local team, you know, I, I really felt burden of the Lord that especially my example was not very special. It wasn't very different for the Lord's sake. And it really hit me hard uh, last week, and I even mentioned it to the saints here. And um, I thought, Lord, that's got to change for your sake. That just isn't right. That just isn't right. We ought to be different for you. We shouldn't be the same as everybody else. The way I respond to things, the way I handle things on the field, you got all these little 9, 10, and 12-year-olds doing exactly the opposite of what you showed them 5,000 times in practice. You know, it's uh, easy to become like anyone else. And that's not what Jesus uh, has done for me and what he wants to see out of my life. So, uh, I got some feedback on this last game uh, from, a, from the umpire of all people, you know, because I'm a manager. He's the umpire, you know, cats, dogs, doesn't necessarily go, to, go together. But um, I made it a real intent for myself to be different for the Lord's sake. And through a third party, the umpire speaking to it, he said, you know what? Your guys' coaching is exactly the opposite. It's like night and day to those guys over there. And he was talking about the positive influence we had on the kids and the encouragement we were doing. And um, it was a real encouragement to me to see the Lord give me that good news from somebody else. I try, I was trying. But, you know, sometimes you work on something, you don't necessarily hear the results, right? You want to see a difference, but you don't necessarily hear the results. And it was nice to hear the Lord give that through a third party unsolicited. So that was very, very encouraging. It gives me hope that the Lord can change me and make me different. Give me, gave me renewed energy. It's a long season, 20 games with... Bunch of 9, 10, 11-year-olds, and uh, we want to make a difference for Christ. And, we, and by your prayers and the grace of God, we are seeing a, a difference in reaching out to people, people hearing about Jesus and having an opportunity to talk about his name there in the confines of the baseball field. So we appreciate your prayers regarding that. We do. We want to look at the best news. Not just good news, but the best news ever. But before we can look at the best news... What often happens before you hear good news? You got to hear the bad news. You got bad news. You got to cover first. You got to talk about the bad news. And from the outward appearances, from the physical observations, this bad news looks like the worst news ever. Looks like the worst news ever. But later, we're going to see, not by the outward appearances, but by the spiritual realities. But even those worst of situations can be the best things, best things ever. Okay, let's turn to Luke 23. Your Bibles, your bookmarks should just be falling naturally to there. Continuing our study in Luke. I mentioned we got it on a couple of screens. Luke 23. 
3, beginning in verse 26. Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. As we start this passage, I, I, as you look at the expression, the first couple of words, it says, then they led him away. I'd like to talk about what that means when they, it says they led him away. Let's think about what Jesus has been through over the last 10, 12 hours. He's been betrayed by one of his close disciples, one of his apostles. He's been given a mockery of a trial before his own Jewish religious leaders. He's been heard both before the Jewish and Roman civil authorities who've interrogated him, and they say freely they find nothing wrong with him. But yet, he's still condemned to death, though completely innocent. Physically, what has happened to him? By the Jews, he's been spit on, beaten, punched, and slapped. By the Romans, he's also been spit on and slapped. But beyond that, they've scourged him. And for those who aren't familiar with that, it's, it's a small, hand-sized whip. But instead of one or two strands coming out, there's nine strands coming out of it. It's a handle, and it's only about this long. And each of those leather straps has bone or rock embedded in it so that when you hit the flesh, it doesn't leave a strap mark or a slice. It rips flesh. Sometimes it would get stuck, and then they would just remove it with the flesh with it. Some people died just of the scourging. 
My understanding was 40 stripes by Roman soldiers. Besides the scourging, they also weaved a crown of thorns for his head. And again, this isn't the little half inch to inch long thorns you get on a rose bush. These are the three to four inch long thorns that you get in the Middle East. Quite intricate, quite an inventor of evil for someone to put that crown together and weave it and put it on the head of Jesus. He's been mocked. He's been given a crown, a purple crown, excuse me, a purple robe to wear. And they bow down, mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. It's hard to say what Jesus probably looked like at this point. It's hard to say. In Isaiah 52, 13 and 14, it says this, that he was so physically beat up. It says his visage was marred beyond any man. And some of us believe that to mean that his image, his, 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 his look, his appearance was so beaten up, it was hard to recognize him as a man. I looked for examples of this, and it's hard to find pictures of this. You know, people don't want to think about what we did to Jesus. You know, after I thought about it, it wasn't that surprising. It's uncomfortable. I can tell by me just describing it to y'all here. You're uncomfortable in your seats. This is what we did to Jesus. There's one, uh, this is one person's attempt. This is one attempt to see what Jesus might have looked like. It's just one attempt. You can see the, the, the thought of trying to portray the scourging, how it rip, rip away the flesh. His back would look similar. And on a close-up, what the thorns would look like in a crown of thorns. I can't tell you if that's what he honestly, if that's exactly what he looked like, but I would say it was something close. I would say it was something close. This is the Jesus that's being led away. Though they couldn't find any fault with him, they had done this to him, this incredible beating, and now they're going to lead him to a cruel, torturous death. One of the worst ever invented by man, crucifixion. It says in verse 26, now, as they were going along, they lay, held, lay hold of a man, a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian. I think this is interesting. Here's a guy, he's just coming in from the country. He's just coming in for the festivities into Jerusalem. As it were, minding his own business. He probably saw the tumult and unfortunately got a little too close to the crowd. You know how it is, Tom, people are looky-loos. I want to look, don't they? Well, this guy made the mistake of wanting to look, too. He was just coming in from the country, going towards Jerusalem. What's going on there? A Roman soldier grabs him. Hey, you, come here. This guy was from North Africa. He was just there for the holidays, just visiting. Well, he got a little too close to the activities. He became part of it. He became part of it. He was trying to mind his own business, got distracted, became part of the activities. Simon, a Cyrenian. Going on from there, verses 27 through 31, we see uh, women following them out of Jerusalem to the place of crucifixion, to Calvary. These women could have been related, could have been related to the criminals. 
Jesus calls them the daughters of Jerusalem. They're probably just the women there in Jerusalem who are just saddened at more Jews being killed by Romans. So they're weeping and they're following after Jesus and these two men. Jesus says, don't cry for, don't cry for me. See, the time is coming when Jerusalem will be besieged and it'll be leveled and the temple in it. In 40 years, Titus, a Roman general is going to come and he's going to level everything. And it's going to be so bad. You see, back then it was a, it was a stigma. It was, it was not good if you, didn't, if you were a woman and didn't have children. You know, today we just think, oh, okay, well, whatever. They should decide never have children. Then it was a stigma. It was... It was uh, seen as not a good thing. Jesus saying, no, it's going to be so bad. You wish you never had children. They're going to die such a painful death. You're going to wish you never gave birth to them. Then 40 years, this was going to happen. It would be so bad, they would rather have a, a half-dome, mountainous rock slide, crush them and kill them instantly then go through what's going to happen. It's going to be that bad. Jesus tells them in verse 31, just paraphrasing, he's saying this, if they've done this to me, your guiltless Messiah, what do you think they will do to you, the ones who put me to death after I'm gone? Verses 32 through 34, we, we see the criminals introduced as those being crucified with him. We don't know much about them. All that we know is that they're guilty. We know that because one of them admits it later. He's saying, look, we're getting what we deserve. He knows he's guilty, and he knows his buddy well enough to know he's guilty too. One of them accepts Christ. The other one, right there with Christ, right next to him, rejects Christ all the way to his death. With Jesus right there. Right there. It's interesting. The scripture doesn't go into a lot of detail about the crucifixion. I, I think it's for a simple reason. I think there's one reason why it, doesn't go in, why it doesn't go into a lot of details. It's because when Luke was writing, if you said crucifixion, okay, done. We know what you're talking about, Luke. Many, if not all, of his audience knew exactly what crucifixion was like. I think for our benefit, it's good to remember some of the details about crucifixion. The hands would be nailed. The feet would be nailed so that you're suspended in air. In order to breathe, you couldn't let yourself hang because you can't breathe like that. You would have to push yourself up on the nails in your feet to breathe. As you got too fatigued to do that and you dropped too far, your shoulders would come out of joint, then your elbows, then your wrists. So that all you have to work with is your legs to keep yourself breathing. And those would become extremely fatigued. It was a slow, cruel, excruciating death. That's where they think the word excruciating come from. Crux, cross, crucified. Came from that. 
could take days to kill someone like that. After being crucified on the cross, they would be lifted up. And there was Jesus in the center, one criminal on his left, another criminal on his right. He in the middle. And then after that, after they crucify him, we have one of the most incredible statements ever made. His own Jewish people had rejected him and portrayed him. They rejected him and betrayed him. The, the Roman authorities found no guilt in him, punished him, and then put him on a cross. And then what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. Wow. I have to confess, I, I can't get my head all the way around that one. I can't. You would think if there's anyone guilty, it's these guys, right? Jesus asked his father to forgive them for they're not fully aware of what they were doing. The Jews thought they were exterminating a threat to their authority and their position. The Romans thought they were removing an irritation to their rule because his relationship with the religious leaders was causing a problem. None of them really knew what was going on. None of them really knew. Verses 35 through 37, they all start to mock him. They're all aware of his claims to be the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen of God, the king of the Jews. They realized he had saved others. He was well known. It's not like, oh, here's the centurion over here, but he doesn't know about these other centurions who got their servants healed. No, these guys talked, just like we do. They realized he had saved others. He had healed people from their physical ailments. He'd raised the dead. Now they see him on the cross, the Jewish rulers, along with the Roman soldiers are mocking him. Come on. You're the king of the Jews. If you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. Verse 38 There's a, an inscription given to him. You know, when you, were go, you go outside of Jerusalem where they would put these places of, of crucifixion, they would put them on a prominent hill as you go in and out of Jerusalem. The Roman uh, authorities would do that strategically, you see, because they want you to see you're Jewish, we're Roman, we're in charge. Pax Romana, Roman peace. We will have peace. And this is what happens if you're not peaceful. You will obey the laws. If not, you will get Roman justice. And that was the extreme form of Roman justice. That was the top end. It's crucifixion. And if you were the worst of criminals, you got a special plaque above your head saying who you were and your horrible crime. See what we have here? Who do we have? Jesus of Nazareth. We know from, from all three Gospels it says Jesus of Nazareth. King of the Jews. 
That's the horrible person and the horrible crime above his cross. It's written in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. It's interesting when the Jews heard that Pilate wrote this inscription, and he said, no, you should put, he said I'm the king of the Jews. I love what Pilate said. Hey, he wouldn't have any of it. What I've written, I've written. I love the way the Lord made that happen. Well, this concludes how far we're going to go into the account of the crucifixion. The Gospel of Luke today, we'll pick it up next week. Concludes how much bad news we got to look at today. For wrongly torturing and putting to death the only perfect and completely innocent man who ever lived. That's what we did. Now I'll ask it again. Anybody ready for some good news? Now for some good news. You know, I'd like to work this passage backwards from where we just finished off. Let's work this passage backwards from where we just finished off. We'll go back to the front of the passage. But we'll start here. And again, we're going to get some good news. And don't, don't, don't get me wrong. All the bad news is there, that, that's there, we're completely responsible as people. That was us. And a lot of us would like to think, well, if I was there, I'd have been different. Well, it would be nice to think that way. But we're going to see that we're all the same. We're all the same. Thankfully, the good news isn't based on the physical observations of what we just saw. The good news is based on what God was doing in spite of us through Christ on the cross. That inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Well, for those of us who know Jesus... He's a lot more than just Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, isn't he? Who is he? He's the son of God. He's God the son. I like the way Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5. He said, I used to look at Jesus according to the outward appearance. I don't look at him that way any longer. Jesus meant so much more to him than he had in the past. Because now he knew him for who he really was. Who else is Jesus? We know because of his obedience to the Father from Philippians 2, we see that he has a different name, a different name than he had before. Verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the good news of what was happening there on the cross. That's the titles that go above Jesus' name. Jesus of Nazareth, 
King of the Jews, Savior of the world, King of kings, Lord of lords. This was the perfect time. This was just the right time that Jesus had to come and lay down his life. Just like the scriptures foretold and just like he had been telling the disciples. And really, when you think about it, think about it. All of time, no, no, no. All of eternity centers around this moment. The Old Testament saints, as you learned in the stranger class, those of you who are taking it, they were looking forward to how God would take care of their sin problem. And now we, we look backward to the cross. We can see how God took care of it by sending Jesus, him being obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And now, and now what? He will be the center of worship for countless millions for all eternity because of this time right here, because of what he did for us. That's a new, a new inscription, a new designation. That's who the Lord Jesus is. Going backwards, let's look at the mocking that they did. They mocked him. You know, people have always mocked God. Isn't it? It's just, it's just incredible. You know, the, 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 that heartbeat inside you right now? Your lungs breathing in and out? Those are all gifts from him. You're just borrowing them. He's graciously giving them to you. He gives us everything that we have and own. And then we mock him and are unthankful. That's absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Today, those who read the Bible and go to church, they're seen as being foolish and, and blind and old-fashioned and, and, and brainwashed. You ever get that? Oh, you've just been brainwashed. You know what? You talk to enough people. You go around and ride along with Tom or you look on the news or just go out and be in the public, public for a long People need some brains washed. You know? They really do. We need our brains washed. They're messed up. I won't tell you what happened, uh, what happened with all uh, the police showing up and the news, news thing down here at the elementary school down the street as they took a teacher away and all the counts against him. Just another horrible situation. We get involved in people's lives and we see how they treat each other and their kids and we go, wow, yeah, I'm glad to be brainwashed with the right thing. With the right thing. One day, this world that continues to reject Jesus and his word and his people, you know, he's coming back. He is coming back. Could you imagine the horror of mocking Jesus your whole life? And then him coming back? You've been playing games with God, and then he comes back. You know, I am glad. <laughs> this is good news for me. Good news for all the true believers here. Aren't you glad not to be a part of that horror? Aren't you glad to have submitted to the Lord and recognized who he is and come to him and say, thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm glad I know who you are now, and you are worthy of all the worship. All those who responded to Jesus by faith, who gave up their mocking, truly submitted to him as Lord, they'll be justified. They'll be shown as being true. 
the right ones who made the right decision. You know, it's for a short while, you know, it, it actually, actually is a good thing to be, to suffer persecution for Christ's sake. The Bible promises it. It says, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you don't have a little bit of persecution, take, it's like taking your temperature. I, I, I came home and, and Stacy says, oh yeah, that, that, that child's been well. I said, oh really? Hey, go take your temperature. Came back 102. I felt him. He felt fine. Well, I don't know what happened, but we stuck the temperature in. Took the thermometer in. It showed a fever, right? She knows I'm real big on data. She wants to do it by her hand. I want the data, right? Stick this thermometer in. Have you suffered persecution for Christ's sake? Have you been mocked? Have you been made fun of? Well, no one's saying it's easy. It doesn't feel good. But Jesus said you should, you should walk away from that jumping for joy and rejoicing. Okay? Because he said, now you're following me. That's how they treated me. That's how they're going to treat you. I'm going to read Mark chapter 8, 38, two different ways. I'll read it the way it's written first, and then I'll throw in one word, or one word twice. Mark chapter 8, verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. But I like reading the opposite of that. If you say the opposite twice, I think it makes it the same, right? Listen to this. For whoever is not ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will not be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Both are true, right? Right? Yeah. Think about that. We've talked about that before. God wants to brag on you. He really does. Jesus wants to present you to the Father. This one suffered for my name's sake. I'm not going to be ashamed of you. You suffered for my name's sake. There's, that's good news right there. You're suffering for Christ. You're in the bonus. You're, you're doing a great job. More good news. That's in mocking. You can get good news out of mocking. How, how can you? Only with Jesus could get good news out of mocking. Good news. Why couldn't Jesus save himself? Couldn't Jesus save himself? What did he tell Peter? Peter, put away your sword. I got 12 legions of angels. They wipe all the whole word out in the night. They'd be, they would be gone. Why couldn't Jesus save himself? What's the good news in that? You know what I call this, this part? I call it the secret of the cross. But it's not a secret. And for all of you who've grown up in church and maybe you don't fully think you understand what it means to know Jesus, pay attention. Because it's really not a secret. But it's a part that a lot of people are missing who grew up in the church. They don't, it doesn't click with them. Those of you who just took the stranger class, this was clearly explained to you. You guys had your last class today, is that right? Good, good. We saw this when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he cried out to the Father, is there any other way? Let this cup pass from me. But the heavens were silent. There's no other way. Why couldn't Jesus save himself? What's the answer? Only death is the payment for sin. You can't ask God for forgiveness. He can't forgive you. 
Jesus couldn't go around saying, oh, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. He did say it to one man. The man was let down by his friends. He saw their faith. They let him down through the roof, paralytic man. He says, when he saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. He did say it, and he could say it because of what he was going to do. God just can't forgive your sins just because you ask him. He can't. Sin demands death. There's a payment for sin. Since the beginning. God said, the day you eat of that, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what? You shall surely die. For the soul who sins, he shall die. For the wages of sin is, we just carried most of the Bible right there. Genesis to Romans. Revelation 20, second death. The good news here about Jesus not saving himself is exactly that. It's because he didn't save himself. Jesus didn't listen to them. He didn't save himself. And because he didn't, he could take all the shame and the punishment that you and I deserve. And if you don't, if you don't realize you deserve shame and punishment, that's, that's the problem right there. We're going to talk about criminals here in a minute. He, took, he could take all the shame and punishment that you and I deserved and he could pay for it on the cross. Because he hadn't done anything wrong. He wasn't dying for his own sins. He had no sins, no sin in him. Praise God for a Savior who didn't come down from the cross when mocked. I love this in Nehemiah 6. To me, it's prophetic of the Lord Jesus. I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? That's, I think of the Lord Jesus when I think of that verse. He's doing a great work on the cross. I'm not going to come down. This is the only way I can save people. The only way. And until you realize that only death is a payment for sin, you can't be saved can't be saved. Criminals. What about criminals? Next part of the good news. We're going backwards through the passage. Remember he was crucified with criminals? You might be thinking, is there any good news in criminals? Well, you know, when Jesus is involved, there's good news with criminals. Okay? If you think about it, he was associated with lawbreakers and sinners and criminals from the very beginning. When he first shows up on the scene, what does he attend? He attends a baptism of repentance. People coming forth, say, talking about their sins. And he steps right into the water. John goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You shouldn't be baptized. I, I, I should be baptized by you. I'm the sinner, Jesus. John's saying, I'm the sinner. But Jesus didn't do that. Why did Jesus get baptized? This is why... Baptism doesn't get rid of sin. Baptism has to do with what? Identification. He was identifying himself with John's message. You know what he was doing? He was being there, not as a sinner, but identifying himself to reach out to sinners. 
Think about it. He was known as what? A friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's tax collectors. I mean, they're traitorous, extortioning, just horrible people. They were the worst of the worst. Jesus reached out to them. So much so, one of them became one of his apostles. And they were the, they were the scum of the earth. They were. They were the scum of the earth as far as the Jewish society was concerned. He also reached out to, to harlots. What's a harlot? It's a prostitute. He reached out to them. I believe he changed their lives. Adulterous woman, caught in the very act, saves her from death. You know, if you were a reprobate, you were a criminal, and you wanted to change, you had a friend in Jesus. You had someone you could go to. Good news. Good news for criminals. What is Jesus trying to teach us here? He identifies with criminals. Why? Because those are the ones he can save. You see? Think of your own life. How do you see yourself? You know, if you're basically a good person, yeah, you've messed up a couple times and you think, oh, God, just forgive me for that. I'm sorry. You know, you can't be saved. He only saves criminals. He only saves those who have broken the law. He only saves those, you saw that picture up there, that he has to go through that for. To me, that's the other secret, and it's not a big secret. You have to know that only death is the punishment, payment for sin. And then guess what? You deserve death. So if you're here this morning, and you're wondering why you don't appreciate Jesus that much, you're wondering why certain things just don't mean so much to you. You know, prayer's kind of, nah. I'll read the Bible every once in a while, and I didn't quite make the breaking of bread to worship Jesus. You got a problem there. You really don't realize who you are before him. I tell you, when that criminal who deserves the death penalty has a substitute jump in the way for him, what does he do? Literally, he worships that guy. Wow. He took my place. That's what I deserved. Paul continues to, to, to teach this in Romans 5. He says this, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and not while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that same passage, he goes on to say, while we were enemies. Enemies. That's the good news, but it has a catch. Have you realized you are an enemy before God? And realizing you're an enemy, and I remember doing this. I said, you know, Lord, I don't know if I ever really realized I deserve, I, me, I deserve to go to hell. I'm that criminal. I put all the Bible and the study books away, and I got on my face on my carpet, my nose in the carpet. I said, Lord, I don't know if I've ever really recognized that, but I'm recognizing it now. I'm applying that, those verses to me. I'm the ungodly. I'm the sinner. I'm the criminal. And I thank you that you died for me. You died for me. 
That's the good news with the catch. You have to make it personal. He only came to save sinners. I tell you, tell you this morning, don't, don't play a religious game. Don't play a religious game. Don't go to church. Don't read your Bible. Play a religious game. Have a personal relationship with Jesus where you know he took your place. And because he did, who does that mean to you now? He means the world to you. He just means the world to you. He's your only savior, savior from slavery to sin, your only hope for heaven. A new life, a life with meaning, a life with purpose, and hope in the future. I tell you, if you're just getting up every day and you're just a bill-paying robot, man, that's a sad life. It gets old. It gets old. But when you can get up every morning because you know you have a personal relationship with Jesus because he saved you for the criminal that you are against him. And you can say, Lord, I'm yours. What do you want me to do today? I tell you, any job gets interesting. Even mine. Any job. Because it's all about him, not about me. You have him now and all through eternity. Praise the Lord. Well, time escapes us. We can't talk about that they didn't know what they were doing. But they, we know that if they knew what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Scripture says that. If they knew what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord. Why would the rulers of this age help crucify the Lord of glory and save mankind? I love this. I've got to read this verse to you. The end of Colossians 2, verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Really, none of them knew what they were doing. God was in control the whole time. Even Satan, behind Judas, behind that mob of a crowd and all their viciousness, God used it and embarrassed Satan publicly. I love that. That's good news. Even the worst that Satan has, God uses it for his glory. Praise the Lord. But we're going to close with our last guy here. Back, all the way back up to Simon. Remember the guy was just walking in. He made that looky-loo mistake. He looked in. He got brought into the situation. Right? Got brought into the situation. Can there be any good news for Simon being interrupted and stopped on his way? Absolutely. Because think about it. You have the opportunity now. Simon, just like Simon did... The opportunity to do what? Pick up the cross and follow Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I hope after seeing Jesus today, we're arrested like Simon. We're stopped. Not because we're forced, but, because, but out of love. We see him as the one who took our own place. And we love him with all our hearts. And we say, Lord, I want to follow you wherever you go. You know, it's so easy to live our lives our way. It really is. You can make your own choices about what you're going to study, where you're going to go to school, what job you're going to get, who you're going to marry, where you're going to live. How are you going to spend your own money? 
You can do that. But if you want to know how to live for Jesus, just ask yourself this question. And all those major decisions in life, and even just getting up in the morning and seeking God's face first. Lord, before I go out, before I make this decision, help me make this decision in light of the cross, the cross of Christ, in the light of what you did for me. I just don't want to live my life every day my way. I want to really be thinking about you, Lord Jesus, today, right now, in all these ways, in the important decisions, and just every day waking up, living a life for Jesus. That's what he said, take up his cross daily and follow me. How will my decision and this thing before me, reflect what Jesus did for me on the cross. I think that's what Paul had in mind when he said this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And in 100 years, when you stand before Jesus, will you be able to say you truly followed him in that denying self, the taking up the cross kind of way? Each opportunity, each day, each situation. People ask me, well, I don't know if it's God's will. I think it's God's will. Oftentimes it means I want it to be God's will. Just ask yourself. Is this denying myself, taking up the cross and following Jesus? Or is it doing my own thing? Jesus said, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Lord, that's what we want to do today. Lord, as we think of you in our mind's eye and these pictures don't even do it justice, what we did to you. And yet, Lord, you went all the way, obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Lord, for those of us who know you, we, we recognize there's only one true response. As you said, as you turn around and look, look at all of us, you're right, Lord. We need to pick up our cross daily, whatever it is you have for us, to pick it up joyfully, to pick it up with a focus on you, to pick it up with a looking forward to seeing you face to face, to pick up the cross daily and follow you, to make those same denying self obedient to the Father decisions that you made. And Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning, anyone here who, who's never really seen that they deserve judgment, death, Separation from God and for all eternity, hell. Lord, I pray this would be the day that they would make that their own, that they would see the reason they don't appreciate you is they don't really see themselves the way you do. Therefore, they don't really know what you went through for them. They can't really appreciate it, Lord. I pray you'd open their eyes and show them, Lord, give them the, the need of their heart to show them their sin. And Lord, and teach them what it means to receive you as their Lord and Savior. 
Lord, we thank you for the good news. We thank you that you didn't come down from the cross and that now we can have life with meaning every day. And Lord, we commit ourselves to you this morning to be hearers, no, not just hearers, but to be doers of the word, Lord. Lord Jesus, for we ask in your name. Amen.